What is happening this morning? K2, the church, how you guys doing? Good. Hey, it is so good to be here. And as much as Dave said some things about me, I want you guys to know that you guys have amazing leaders and pastors here at K2. Uh, just a group of people that have their kind of hands wide open to, to everything that's going on in church planting. Uh, the truth is, like he's saying, like church planters are his heroes. I mean, the church planters in this valley, if they don't go through K2, they're crazy. And, uh, and so it's just been an honor to be a part of kind of the K2 family from afar. Uh, the first time I ever visited K2, um, didn't know anybody, and they were just super open and just loving and, and great to us. And, and over the last couple years have been just become great friends. So, uh, and, and I know that, that you guys are an extension of them. So I just want to thank you guys for being a part of that story and that journey. I am excited about being here. Uh, how many of you guys have been here for the last couple weeks of this series, Behind Closed Doors? Good. Good. Hopefully, hopefully God's doing, doing some, uh, some things in your heart and your life. Uh, I want to go for a real quick recap if you haven't been, all right? So week one, uh, we talked a little bit about to be known as you are known, and ultimately Dave Nelson just talked about this idea that the, the, to the level that you're willing to open up and let God in is the level that that, that relationship is going to go. And so as you're willing to be known by not, not just, but anybody in your life, as, as much as you're willing to be known and let them in is how you will be known. The second one was the home office. And uh, Mike Relich have the awesome privilege of talking about what it looks like for us to have Jesus as the Lord of our giving and our, our, our money. And then week three was our work life, uh, just talking about how we're created in the image of God. And God was at work. Jesus says, my father is at work always. And so just kind of exploring this idea, what does it look like to let Jesus kind of into our work life? Because the truth is, God created work. He created it, and his desire is for us to bring him into that because it's his idea. It's not just, you know, a J-O-B. You know what I'm saying? Who's, yeah, interesting. Um, but like, like Dave said, we uh, moved here from Mobile, Alabama. Uh, I ran a mortgage company for a while. I, I, I became a Christian in my 20s, and I knew instantly that God was calling me to ministry, and I didn't really go into ministry. Uh, I, I kind of, we started having kids, and as, as we were having kids, I was like, well, I got to go to a job, you know, and so I went and got a job, and, and I just got a job, and I, I didn't even think of, like, church's job. I just thought it was church's ministry, so I went and got a job, and next thing I know, I ran a mortgage company for about 10 years. Uh, but really knew God was calling us to plant churches where there were no churches in Mobile, Alabama. You know how like out here in Utah, you have like a few churches per city? Do you know what I'm saying? In Alabama, there's like a few churches per corner, all right? And there's literally, I'm no, not lying, there are over 700 Christian churches um, for roughly 200,000 people, all right? Uh, if you connect that to Utah County, Utah County has half a million people and like 30 all right, so, so I, we knew God was calling us out west, and we landed in Utah, and uh, haven't looked back since, have loved it, really believe God has, has called us here, and we're just going to continue to press forward in spreading the gospel and planting churches, and, and our hope is to partner with K2 in ways where we're not just planting one church, and we're not just planting a few, but we're planting many churches in the valley. So who are the three people that raised your hand, said you, wanted, you were down for that? All right. All right, let's do it. All right, well, Dave, here you go. Get his name and number. Um, so, so, yeah, so my wife, uh, Shanda, and we have uh, two kids, Miles and Jillian, and we have two foster children. So we, my, my, my oldest is my son, Miles. He's 13. Then we have 
uh, 12 and a 10-year-old foster kids and then a, a eight-year-old little girl. And so um, they are actually not here. My wife was totally bummed. She's like, You're not, I'm not going to be there for this. I wanted to be there. Uh, but they actually are, are on vacation, and I will join them tomorrow uh, back in Alabama. I know a bunch of you right now just thought, who goes to Alabama on vacation? Who thought that? A <laughs> uh, bunch of you. The rest of you are lying. But... Believe it or not, the beaches are really beautiful there. I know that's a shocker. All right, so let's jump into this. How, how do we, the, the dining room, this is the area we're talking, the dining room, this area that, that, that this kind of houses our, our pleasures, the, the, our desires, the things that make us happy, right? And happiness is a part of our culture, isn't it? I mean, happiness is really a part of our culture. I'll prove it to you. If you're happy and you know it, bam. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands or is it stomp your feet? If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. Yeah, it's a part of our culture, isn't it? Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy now. Come on. Now I know why you guys aren't on the worship team. All right. Right? But it's a part of our culture. Right, the, the, the Declaration of Independence, it says uh, something to the effect of that all men are created equal. We have a creator and that creator has given us inalienable rights and it's life, liberty, and the? Absolutely, right? And we're in an election year, so we're gonna hear that a lot. The pursuit of happiness. Happiness is a part of our culture. Uh, I, I was doing some digging and there are like song after song after song after song about happiness. Right? We just went through a few, but there's a lot. Uh, you'll have to excuse me. I'm kind of a roamer, and the fact that I have this gigantic stage, I love this. I wish people were sitting over here because I'd come hang out with them. Uh, but, but happiness is a part of our culture, and it's kind of driven into us in all kinds of ways, right? In, in marketing, you need this thing. It'll make you happy. You need this thing. You need this career. You, you need, you need, you need, you need, you need, right? And, and if you're like me, you've gotten sucked into that a few times. How many of you guys are infomercial junkies? Come on, raise your hand. It's okay. There's a, a support group after church for this. Where you stop, right? And it, it, like, there's a few like husbands or wives hitting each other like, so you're the one to buy those stupid things, you know? And, but it's, 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 it's this thing, if you have this, your life will be complete. If you have this, everything will be better. It's a part of the American dream is to be happy. The truth is, though, that the pursuit of happiness can be a lonely road. Did you know that some recent studies done by Harvard uh, and Cal Berkeley, they're smart, so it must be true, they said that, that their, one of their studies is actually titled, The Pursuit of Happiness is a Lonely Road. And what they said, the study suggests, that the more people pursue the value of ha- and value happiness, the lonelier they will feel on a daily basis. Now that is countercultural to the things that we've been taught, isn't it? That this idea that we're supposed to pursue happiness and we're supposed to, to pursue things, pursue careers, pursue things, pursue people, pursue stuff, and it'll make us happy. And the studies are actually showing that the more you do that and the more you chase after it, the lonelier you will feel on a daily basis. And, and the truth is, if you're like me, you've realized this, that happiness is really hard to catch, isn't it? Like it's really difficult to grab onto. Some of it's just because everything changes, right? 
But some of it's because we change, right? We change in the sense like when you were like, you know, eight, there was a place called the happiest place on earth. And you loved going there, right? And, and, and then when you were like 16, you had this other idea of what happiness was like. What was your idea of happiness when you were 16? A date, getting, getting your driving, getting your driver's license, right? And then after everybody asked you to drive 100 times, what'd you think? Oh, this sucks, like, right? Uh, then when you're getting college, right? You, what, what's gonna make me happy when I get to college? Freedom, I'm away from mom and dad, right? And then when you got freedom, you realized, Maybe I should go hang out with mom and dad again. She like cooks for me, washes my clothes, right? Freedom kind of sucks sometimes when you get it and you're thinking, when you become adult, like this is gonna be happy. I'm gonna get married. We're gonna be so awesome happy. I do premarital counseling and I love doing premarital counseling with younger couples who just look so happy. And I try not to squash it, but at the same time, (laughs) at the same time, we wanna prepare, the whole point of counseling is to prepare them for reality, right? Like we got to prepare them, but, but this this idea of happiness. Got a couple pictures I wanna show you. Uh, this is young lady, she's looking out in the ocean, I don't want a perfect life, I want a happy life. All right, sounds good. And then the next picture is like her boyfriend, all I want is for you to be happy, baby. <laughs> right? And then, in that class, is how to keep a wound happy. <laughs> all right. I, I could do all this because my wife's not here. Uh, go back to the next one. There was one you skipped over, I think, because this is my favorite. That's good, too, but no? All right, well, maybe we missed it. All right, go to the next one. Billy has 32 pieces of bacon. He eats 28. What does he now have? Happiness. Billy has happiness. Happiness is a part of our culture, but it's really, really difficult to grab onto. And really what I want to say is this. The pursuit of happiness is really about fulfillment. The pursuit of happiness is really about fulfillment. As we pursue and as we grab onto things and realize once we catch them, this didn't do everything I thought it was gonna do, what do we normally do? We go and look for something else, right? And when we go look for something else, what are we really saying? The thing that I thought was gonna make me happy or make me fulfilled just didn't cut it. And now I gotta go find something else. So the pursuit of happiness is really about fulfillment. We're going to talk about this idea of fulfillment and how we're created. And here's the thing though. Here's what I want you guys to understand is that this this chase and this desire for fulfillment, it's something in the way God created us. He created us to be fulfilled. He created us to be fulfilled, the thing that often we begin to pursue and chase after is really something that God has actually put inside of us, this desire to be fulfilled. But the culture and the things around us often have us going after things. So Luke chapter eight, I'm gonna read through several different scriptures today, uh, and I won't have like a main text till the end, and hopefully I get there. Uh, But Luke chapter eight, uh, matter of fact, I'm not even going to read. In Luke chapter 8, this is the parable of the soil. And in the parable of the soil, Jesus goes through all these different soils, and he gets to the third one, and he says, uh, basically what he says is, here's this other soil, and it's a soil that's full of thorns. And when the, the seed is planted, there is, there is fruit, there's things that come up. But at some point, the thorns, the, the, the soil itself, begins to choke out what's growing. And he says the things that choke it out are actually 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He says it's the, the cares of this world and the, the, the desires of this life. He ultimately says it's the pursuit of happiness that chokes this fruit out. And so the heart, our heart, the soil, which is what this, this parable talks about, is our heart matters. The soil of our heart matters when it comes to this pursuit of happiness. How many of you guys honestly can like, the, I just want a happy life. I don't have to be perfect, but I want to be happy. And it's okay. You can raise your hand. I, I know I made it sound like that being happy is a bad idea. It's not. I want you to be happy, all right? I want you to walk out of here smiling. I want us all to be happy. The question is, what is it that makes us happy? What is it that provides this fulfillment? And the truth is, we're designed for it. It's the way God has created us. Now, uh, here's the thing. How many of you guys have heard this? Uh, if you want to be happy, it's like, just follow your heart, right? How many of you, that didn't work out so good? How many of you followed your heart and you fell flat on your face? Yeah, how many of you do it multiple times? You didn't learn the first time, right? Like, like this idea of following our heart and that'll make us happy, that'll get us fulfilled, it just doesn't work, does it? When it's tested and it's put under fire, it does not work. The truth is, if, if you believe that, then you believe with the Bible. Because in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says this. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Amen. Who really knows how bad it is? Who can understand the heart? And so as we just follow our heart, that's all we're doing is going after what our heart says, we're going to find ourselves, if you're like me, in trouble. Now, I'm not trying to say, uh, we're not trying to separate or, or disconnect uh, kind of our worlds and say there's this kind of sacred life and then there's this secular life. And everything in the sacred world is good and everything in the secular world is bad. That's not what we're trying to say. All right? So we're not trying to create a divide within our lives and within the worlds that we live in. But what we are saying is this. What is your ultimate? What is the chief and end and your chief ultimate? A.W. Tozer says this. Everything is the universe is good to a degree. To the degree that it conforms to the nature of God and evil as it fails to do so. Now, if you're honest, you can, you can say that this quote is 100% true, that in my own life, the things that I thought were good, as it's conformed to the nature of God, it's, it's actually been good. But there are plenty of things in my life that I, I was chasing after, I thought they were good, but when it didn't conform, when I realized, or I now realize looking back, it didn't conform to that thing, it actually ended up being a bad thing that I caught it. Anybody relate to that? And so, this whole idea of fulfillment. There's an idea that was uh, in like the fourth century. There's a, a church father, his name is St. Augustine. And then most recently, uh, a pastor out in New York and an author named Tim Keller has kind of come up with, uh, kind of rebirthed this idea. But St. Augustine talked about this idea of disordered love. And the, the, the concept of disordered love was there are things that our heart is going to long for and there are things that our heart is going to connect to and attach to because that's just what hearts do. The question is, is our love out of order? Are we looking for love in all the... See, you guys are awesome. Are we looking for love in all the wrong places? Where is our heart 
in this. And what happens is this, and it sounds so crazy because in our culture, like when you think of an idol besides American Idol, when you think of like somebody creating an idol, right? You think of like statues, like golden statues and Buddhas and just crazy stuff that you're like, oh yeah, that's an idol. But ultimately what the word of God speaks of and in this concept of disorder love is that anything can become an idol. Anything can become an idol. And this is, this is, this is kind of this concept in disorder love. Anything that is more fundamental to your ha- happiness, your sense of value or your identity other than God, anything that you love more than God Arrest your heart in other than God. The Bible calls it an idol. It's an alternative God, and it's a counterfeit. Anything can become an idol. Now, what happens is we take these created things, and we find our worth and our value, don't we? And sometimes that stuff gets ripped out of us, and then all of a sudden we feel really worthless. Our value is gone because we've lifted up things like people, like family, like our kids, like our spouses, like our job, our career. We find fulfillment in success. We say success is fulfillment. Now, we have to change the way we think about certain things because we let culture speak in to what is actually our success. Now, it's tricky, it's hard to figure out, it's hard to discern, but one of the ways that you can look at, your, at your, what is an idol in your life is this. What are your deepest emotions, your anxieties, your fears, your despairs? And they'll point you to your God. If you didn't have this, man, that would mess me up. If I didn't do this, man, that would mess me up. If I, didn't, if I wasn't able to be this, man, it would mess me up. I would lose all sense of who I am. Now again, the problem with that is our heart will lie to us and we'll say, no, we got this, we're good. Now, just so you know, you're in, you're in pretty normal company. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm just like you. Turn to the, second, turn to the other person and say, I'm just like you. When it comes to this, we're all the same. And humanity has been the same forever. Listen to this. This is Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. God says of his people, he says, For my people have done two evil things. The first one, they have abandoned me. Say, they abandoned him. The second one, then he calls himself, he says, They abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And then the second thing, he says, And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Now the cistern is this metaphor for our hearts. And he says, they've abandoned me. I am the living water. And they've literally abandoned me. And instead, they've substituted the living water. And they've put the water in broken cisterns. And it can't hold any water at all. They are never going to be fulfilled. And they're going to keep looking for other things to worship and to fulfill them. Because they're pouring it into a broken cistern. They're breaking it into a cracked pot. And the crackpot will never hold the water. You want to know why the crackpot will never hold water? Because it's not designed to. 
And so you and I are just like everyone else, and we're just like the children of Israel. We're just like God's people back in the Old Testament who continue to do other things, and they continue to worship the creation rather than the creator. They continue to look for other things to fulfill them, and they worship those things until they let them down, and then they go worship something else. Are we worshiping the creation over the creator? See, look, creation is good. God said so. He created all and he said, and it is good. But creation in all of its goodness was never meant to fulfill you, ever. But you and I make the mistake daily often. Maybe some of you are better than me, but daily for me. I look to the creation to fulfill me. I can have an amazing time in the morning of worship and praising God and hallelujah, and by 10 o'clock, I'm looking for everything else to fulfill me. Anybody else? I mean, you know, between now and lunch, you might fail. You know what I'm saying? We look to creation to fulfill us over the creator, and creation is good, but it was never, ever, ever meant to fulfill me and you. Think about it. Things are used wrongly all the time. One of my favorite things, uh, you guys uh, watch the whole, everybody who's on social media, right? And like one of my favorite things to watch is like the fail videos. Who likes to watch people fail and like get hurt and make fools of themselves, right? Um, one of my favorites, and I don't even work out near as much as I used to. Who's like a gym rat? Who loves to work out? Come on. You're all like me. You don't work out. All right. Sorry, maybe you don't raise your hand this much, but that, that's, that's how my way of keeping you awake. But, <laughs> but I love to watch these gym fails, right? You ever seen these where like the, the, like the leg machine and you're supposed to sit in it and the guy's like laying upside down in it trying to do triceps? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Right, like, like there's just this thing where people try and use it the way it's, it's not designed to be used, and then what happens to the workout he just did? He gets nothing out of it, why? Because he's using it the way it's not designed. And he gets nothing out of his workout other than a bunch of people laughing at him and taking videos of him and, <laughs> and snickering, you know? It's like, this would be awesome showing this because it was never meant to be used to work out triceps. Don't we do that? Don't, don't we take the things that are never meant to fulfill us, that were never designed to fulfill us, and don't we put them into our lives and think, oh yeah, this will do it. Oh, this one will do it. Oh, this relationship will do it. Okay, I hated that job, but this job is gonna be awesome. Don't we do that? We look for other things to fulfill us that were never meant to fulfill us. We get on the leg machine and we try and do triceps and it just isn't gonna work. So that's this disordered life. Do you get your ideas of fulfillment from the culture or the creator? When you walk out of here, I want you thinking, am I getting my fulfillment from the culture or from the creator? Cultures can be good, but it's not meant to fulfill you. So. We have to have ordered lives. We have to figure this out. And to have an ordered life, in other words, the opposite of the disordered life, to have an ordered life, you have to have ordered love. To have an ordered life, you have to have ordered 
love. Your love has to be in order. And if you don't get anything out of what I say, here's the one thing I want you to say. If all of you thought was, what am I having? What's going on? Why am I here? No matter what it is. If this is your first time and you're like, who is this guy? Why am I here? I I just came. This is the one thing I want you to get. All right? You guys ready for it? Here's the one thing. It'll be up there too. Love the creator supremely, and you will love creation rightly. If you love the creator supremely, you will love creation rightly. In other words, there are good things within creation that you and I are supposed to love, right? If you are married, you are supposed to love your spouse. If you have children, you are supposed to love your kids. If you have neighbors, no matter how lame or or loud, or ignorant, or whatever they are, you're supposed to love them. But if you don't love the creator supremely, you will never love rightly. You must love the creator supremely. He must be the all, the end all, the top, the first. He must be at the top of the food chain in your life. He must be there, and if he's not, you will struggle to love creation rightly. Now I can repeat that a bunch more times, but I won't because I don't have enough time. So here we go. Now, what's the problem with loving the creator supremely? See, there is an enemy to your soul, whether you like to admit that or not. And there is an enemy, and his desire is to get you distracted. I call it the great distraction. And his desire is to get you so distracted and so looking at other things, you have a hard time And I have a hard time living this idea of loving the creator supremely. And if he can distract you, and if he can get you thinking and looking and focusing on all the other things and focusing on creation rather than the creator, then he's done his job, and there's a good chance you're going to struggle, and I'm going to struggle, at least in that day, to love the creator supremely. And so you have to be aware of this distraction. Now, Matthew chapter 22 you're flipping through a Bible, you can go there. I don't think it's gonna be on the screen. The truth is, like, I just do a lot of this. I put a lot of stuff on the screen, and I'm not lying. Like, I felt bad for him. I sent him all this stuff, and I was like, I have so much more I'd like to put up there, but I just feel bad, like, being the visiting guy and making him work so hard, so I didn't. But uh, Matthew 22, and we're gonna read in verse 37. And this is Jesus' understanding and Jesus' interpretation of an ordered love, right? This is God's word to us. This is, our, this is how we understand God's love for us, correct? We read this and we understand the amazing love that God has, not just for us, but he has for all of creation and all people created. He loves them, and this is how we understand that, right? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, kind of the religious people of Jesus' day, they had figured some things out or thought they did, and they had kind of said, yeah, so there are certain things within this law that God has given us, within this book, and we need to order them and have certain things that we do and certain things that we don't do. And, and so they kind of heaped it on people. But one of the questions that people would ask rabbis like Jesus is they would ask things like, hey, what to you, rabbi, in your opinion, What's the greatest commandment? And so Jesus got this question often if you read through the Gospels. And in Matthew's account, here's what Jesus says. Jesus replied, 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So what did he say right there? Love God supremely. We need to love the creator supremely. Put him first. And then he says, and the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets rest on these two commandments. Now, love God, love others seems pretty simple. How many of you when you hear that, you go, that's easy? No, no, when you hear it, not when you try it, when you hear it, how many, that's easy, right? But when you try it, how hard is it? <clears throat> it's hard. But the truth is, if we could get to a place where we get our lives ordered, and we love the Creator Supreme, and we focus there on our fulfillment rather than looking to everything else. I mean, how many of you are tired of looking to other things to fulfill you and it just not cutting it? How many of you are tired of getting on the quad machine upside down to do tries and your tries are still not big? How many, I, I mean, I know that maybe you're not worried about your triceps being big, but anyways, like it just gets old, doesn't it? It gets old. And so in this area, Jesus says, if you will order your life and order your love in a way where you put me first. Seek first me, my love, the kingdom of God, and everything, then all these worries that you have, things that, that, that stress you out and that you struggle with, if you would just seek me and love me more than all of that other stuff, then everything else will work itself out, he says. So, uh, in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 21 through 24, it says this. Uh, I'm gonna skip to 23. But ultimately, Paul here, the Apostle Paul is dealing with people who, like, <laughs> I know nobody here can probably relate. Actually, you probably can. But remember when I talked about like this freedom that you get because you had all these rules on you and then in college you were like, yeah, freedom! And you go do your own thing. How many of you actually did that? Yeah. And, and, and because of all the rules, you just go crazy, right? Because of all the rules, you do all the things you weren't allowed to do when you were at home. You, it, that's just kind of a, in our nature to kind of rebel a little bit, right? Well, in, in this culture, Paul's having that conversation with people who have been kind of had rules and regulations put on them their whole lives, and now all of a sudden they're just kind of going crazy, and they're like, hey, it's the grace of God, hallelujah, you know? And he's like, no, 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 that's not how this works, and here's what he says. He says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Right? And somebody said amen. amen. <laughs> you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says this in verse 24. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Now why is that statement in there? See, when you chase fulfillment in things, who are you worried about? When you chase the fulfillment of things from relationship to job to this to that, you are supremely worried about you. And when Jesus says the greatest commandment is this, to love God and love others, where are you in that? You're just loving, right? And so here Paul says, look, man, you can say you can do everything you got, and you can do whatever you want to do, and that's great. None of that's beneficial good, but here's what you need to do. Get your focus off yourself and get it onto others. Because when you begin to love others, guess what happens? You really see 
How many of you, like, you go feed, maybe, maybe you go work with some homeless people, you go love others, you go help others? How many of you do that? You're just like, God, I'm such a loser. I care, I got so much food in my pantry and I care so much about stuff. That How many of you, seriously, how many of you, it makes you, I, like, for me, I'm like, God, and it's God's reminder. Man, you make so much of things that really don't mean much. All things are beneficial, all things are good, there's nothing wrong with it. But the problem is it gets disordered, it gets all jacked up, and then we care and think about ourselves. We need to love the creator supremely and you'll love creation rightly. All right, I have two sets of things I wanna read. I need to try and zip through this real quick. So Colossians chapter three, I want, I want to figure out like practically, right? Because it's great to talk about here's what you need to do, but what do you, how do you do that, right? How many of you are like, well, that's great, but I'm stinking at this, how do I do that, Tony? Like, great, you've pointed out that I'm not doing it, and you too, because I'm not doing it as well as I should. How do you do this? Colossians chapter three. I'm actually gonna read through the whole one through 10, even though I'm running out of time. Here we go. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, mal- malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Amen. Do you hear all of the, the action words in there? Put on, put off. I mean, it's, it's not something that you just wake up and go, Lord, help me love you and love others, amen, and then walk out. How many of you pray like that? I pray like that sometimes, right? Like, God, fix this. God, do this. God, but is that what this says? Pray about it and it'll happen. No, what it says is do something. Put, take off the things that are the problem. Put on the things that you know, that you are nodding your head to, yeah. Put those things on today. Take off the things that you know inside your heart are not fulfilling you. And put on the things that you know the word of God has promised to fulfill. All right. Band, you guys can come on back up. John chapter four. I love the fact that you guys worship after the message too. You guys do stay, right? All right? The doors are gonna be locked just to let you know. <laughs> they didn't pay me to say that either. All right, John chapter four. So I kinda wanted to go through this whole thing, but I can't. So uh, here's, here's kinda what I wanna say about this. Maybe, maybe this would be, how many of you guys like homework? Eh. Maybe this would be good reading for you to go home, okay? First of all, there's lots of stories, endless stories that you can read in the Bible that would actually put to kind of point you to exactly what we're talking about. And I was reading through this week. I had nothing to do with the message. I was just kind of reading through. And I, was, I read through this story and I was like, oh my gosh, what a, like it almost messed me up because I was like, I need to change my whole message to this thing. And I almost did it, but it, it, then I changed my mind. 
But this is a good story to read. It's John chapter four, all right? And it's about Jesus meeting with the woman at the well. Are you familiar at all with that story? Jesus meeting with the woman at the well. Uh, and she's a Samaritan woman. And the, the gist of the story, I'm, I don't have time to read it, so I'm just gonna go through it, is Jesus, he's hanging out in Samaria, which is a no-no for a Jewish rabbi. Then he's hanging out by himself with a woman. Uh, so not, not only is just being with a woman by himself a bad idea, but a Samaritan woman at that, he's not supposed to be there. So they're hanging out at the well, and Jesus looks at her and says, hey, give me a drink. And then she's like, um, okay, and they have this dialogue. And part of the dialogue is she's, she, she's, she's kind of having this conversation with him about what it means to have a drink. Um, and in verse 21, he says this, because obviously when he said, give me a drink, he was, he was speaking you know, specifically, but also metaphorically. He says this, he says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. Salvation comes to the Jews, but the time is coming indeed, and it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And this word to her, before he kind of called her out and he basically says to her, you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. You've been looking for love in relationships, from one relationship to the next. And one, matter of fact, you've been married one, two, three, four, uh, five times. Oh, and by the way, the guy you're with right now is not even your husband. And she's like, how did he know all that? And as he begins to speak this words of truth to her, she, it pierces her heart and she starts wondering, I think I've met the Messiah. And, and then she goes on and she goes and tells some people, hey, I think I might have met the Messiah. And as the disciples are kind of questioning why Jesus was talking to this woman, he says this to them in verse 34. He says, then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus says, other translations say, my food is to do the will of the Father. My food is to love God supremely. My food is to put Jesus at the top. My food is that at the top of the food chain, at the top of my life, I love God supremely. That's actually what nourishes me, Jesus says. That's where I find my nourishment. He says this, he says, you know the saying, Four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe. The harvesters are, have paid wages and fruit they harvest and people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester. And he says this, you know the saying, one plants another harvest and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. Look, he says all that about this idea of being ful fulfilled and nourished by God himself. And then he says, and once you feel that, once you know that, then there's things for you to do. So we love God and then we love others. We love God rightly and then guess what happens when we love other people? We do it better than we normally do, right? This whole thing about fulfillment is about where do you get your nourishment? And if Jesus, 
got it from the Father, don't you think it's probably a good idea for you and I to get it from the same place? It's good stuff, ain't it? Well, hey, I'm glad I listened to it. So, <laughs> so realignment. Think about it this way. The, the solution is, is as, like, God, I need you to realign my love. How, ma- how many of you can say right now, like, man, I need to kind of realign my, my pattern of love. I need to realign the things in my life. I need to, I need to realign the love and, what, and, and kind of put it in right order, right? And, and, and the thing is, guys, this isn't a one-time shot. And I think that's kind of what happens sometimes in the Christian world. We'll be like, oh, yeah, I just love God, love others. I'm like, great. And you got that right on Monday, and then you get it wrong on Tuesday. And you think, oh, stop, it's me. Well, yeah, it's you, but, man, God can do so many amazing things, and he will. That's the beauty of our God, man, his grace, and his, it's new every morning. Isn't that awesome? That no matter what you do in that disordered love, his grace is new every morning. Amazing. Amazing. All right, we're going to move into a time of worship, and, uh, and we're going to move into a time of giving as well. So, uh, if you guys will, stand up with me. And we're going to move in a time of, of worship and giving. Uh, if you're giving today, uh, you can give uh, as everything's passed in the envelope with cash uh, or checks. Uh, also, don't forget that you can give with PushPay. Uh, you can get the app and give online through PushPay. And, and look, giving... The order of our lives, giving is one of the ways that we can, we can point to who's first. So you heard this message a couple weeks ago from, from Mike. But giving is one of the ways that we put God supremely over everything, that we trust Him with everything, and we put a love in right order is when we begin to give. So if it's something that you don't do, you struggle to do, my encouragement to you is to start. Pick somewhere, start somewhere where you start giving to God and trusting the money in in your life. I I did this as a brand new Christian and I've continued to do it and I've never been sorry that I've given to God. Never been sorry. So as the uh, greeting team comes and you guys pass that, let's worship together.